Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to the Forum. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here. I'm here with Annika Lucas again, part two, and just a really quick summary. She has is a survivor of a child sex slavery ring in the highest levels in Belgium in the 1970s. And I came upon Annika when I was receiving answered prayer about what else do I not know about in this world that I have not yet seen. And it's like spirit just brought me to her work and just completely, I feel kind of like uh, Saul turned Paul with the scales coming off my eyes and and seeing reality for the first time. And I don't think I was completely naive before. I just, I just really have a, I, it's hard to describe how my world, how I see the world is dramatically different out of hearing Annika's story. And we were talking about your experience in the, the, as a child sex slave in the last hour. And one of the things that came to me, I don't have the scriptures right offhand, but one of the things that came to me is how Jesus talked about little children and how we are to treat little children. Oh, yeah. He was very clear, you know, don't very. you mess with little children. <laughs> oh, yes. Very, very clear. And he was specific. And he also said, that the kingdom of heaven is within. And he said, you, you, you can only really come to the kingdom as a little child. So, yeah. you know, it really is about our, our awakening, our spiritual journey really is about uh, becoming that child again. Um, and not, I'm not, I don't mean that in a, you know, becoming childish, but really integrating that child. And, and th that's our access. That's our access to the kingdom. And so it's so important that we recognize that how we are culturally treating children in this world across the board, whether it's happening to your children or not, it's happening across the board. And it says something about us and where we are in our development. And it says something about us in not really saying yes to the kingdom. And it says something about us and not being able to accept our own inner children. And so in this hour, I want to talk about the healing that Annika went through. And I want to talk about the healing that we individually and collectively were being called. I think at this moment in time, I think we're being called more than ever to wake up, to see what is, and to really heal ourselves because we have an opportunity to create a new world. That's what I think anyway. So um, let's keep our conversation going, Annika. Thanks for coming again. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's real pleasure to speak with you, Carol. And what a beautiful opening. Yes, I remember those words, and not uh, literally, but um, I remember that very, very strong message that Jesus gave about not touching the children, mm -hmm. not harming children. And also that, yes, the, the, uh, to come uh, into the kingdom of God as a child, that is what I see the healing process being. Um, and I think trauma or unmet emotional needs, what they ultimately create. And I think we all have that. You know, it's not that it's not just me. I just had that at such an extreme level that healing from it gives me gives me sort of a 
an understanding of the whole compass um, of trauma, you know, everything uh, from the smallest to the largest. I do understand um, a lot of it from my own healing experience. And when there's a, a trauma or let's say there's an unmet emotional need, there is a little child who was hoping for something, who was hoping to be seen or heard or understood. And somehow that didn't happen. And maybe that something was even, that hope was even replaced with a message, you know, that I am not worthy or I am dirty or I am bad. And then what can follow from there, and that has certainly happened to me many times over, is that there is a little death. There mm -hmm. is, and that little death is how you mature in that particular way. So the way of power, you mature in that you become increasingly unfeeling because all that little child's hopes and dreams have been shattered. The hopes, mostly, the hope to be seen, the hope to be loved unconditionally. And that gets shattered again and again and again and again. And then what is left, and, and I think of the abusers mostly, is like a shell of a person who has no access to themselves because they um, have not been had their innocence and their true self and their behaviors reflected. I mean, it, as simple as this. When a child has a certain behavior, which parent has managed to help the child understand that the behavior is wrong, but that the child is still innocent? Mm -hmm. It starts there. You know, we all are invited unconsciously to put our trauma out on our children, on those who are more vulnerable than us. All of society is sort of set up that way. That power structure is set up so that you unleash and you just look down on those below you and you look up at those above you in this power structure and you have the external power structure with uh you know those who have more money basically and more power who are above us and those who are less more vulnerable and less privileged below us and then we have our internal power structure that we look up to certain people and we look down on other people and all of that keeps us either giving away our power or judging and a negative projection, starting with judgment and all those other negative projections that create a lie. It's it's a lie. Mm -hmm. So um, to heal is to then go and connect with these little children that we once were, all these different parts inside that have not been able to emotionally mature, and then bring that sort of maternal or parental love to that little part either by another person who is there in that role as a therapist or something or a friend. Or I think once you have a certain self-esteem, you can actually do that work yourself and you can go to these parts that have not been seen, heard, understood, and you can bring that uh, love and understanding to them once you break through the shame. You know, that these once you allow these parts to know that they're actually safe with you, uh, once you... Um, are able to just be present without an agenda, without exploitation, without wanting something from them, without being hard on them, just present. Bring that presence to the child. And I do that in my work all the time. It's like connecting with the self that is greater than ourselves. It's our best self, if you will, that is compassionate, that is calm, that is connected, and then curious. It, it's based on the internal family systems model. 
Okay, I'm very familiar with that, sure. Yeah. And then use that as a mindfulness to connect with the parts. And I see a part as um, a child in, or, or you know, a person in emotional development that has not been able to take place because either an emotional need, which is, of course, innate to all human beings, was never met by the authority figures, as to say, usually the parents or caregivers, or there was some trauma, that's there was some abuse of power by those parental figures or caregivers. And that abuse created, um, you know, that, that reversal, you know, that message that I am bad now, you know, I am evil. So, and all, all, all of us had different kinds of experiences in childhood, but all of us had some of this break in belonging and emotional needs not being met. So it's not like it has to be like your experience. You know, there's, there's a lot of healing there, but we all have healing because we, we all had some of these breaks in belonging. We all had, we may have had abuse. We may have had just an emotional need not being met. Then we made that mean something. And, and then a little piece of ourselves kind of breaks off. Yes. It is really a way to pierce through our psychology which I think is how our karma kind of comes in, in the world, uh, when we're in the world, when we're in this body, you know, we have circumstances in our lives, you know, and then we have our package, you know, and then we can unpack that. And um, I think the healing is the unpacking. And the healing is to go to all of these different parts, all those uh, child parts, and to receive them the way Christ received children. Yes. And, And then to, and then, that is how you then, these child parts then become integrated. And I do uh, n- n- know from experience that when that happens, first of all, there's a magical quality to it. It's spiritual. It's not something, you know, there is definitely a formula, but it's not from the mind. It's a very different process. Once you integrate a part, um, there's an expansion of consciousness. There is um, more uh, ability to, to love. Be more empathic. You understand yourself better. You are actually different. You respond differently to your environment. People respond differently to you. I mean, all of that happens when there is an integration. That happens, neural integration, I guess it's called. And then, and I think every cell receives that new information, and then you actually become a different person. And that child is now alive again. You see, that child that died is now alive again. Whereas growing old. I see that as the opposite um, uh, process. I see growing old as dying, uh, like having a, a part give up hope and then dying a little bit, and that becomes stuck. And that stuckness, I think, is what we what what I would call growing old. Okay, okay. Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about um, the expansion and when the integration happens. It, it, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use a traditional term, but it, it almost sounds like being born again. You know. Yeah, um, <laughs> born again. Well, there is a <clears throat> well. That's a big subject, also. Yeah, I mean, I I don't mean to bring in a traditional Christianity, but it almost sounds like you become a new being. You know, like, and and, and I'm sure that's not true because it's like you're you're just really becoming more of yourself. You and, become more of yeah, yourself, and right. it feels like you're more yourself. But there is certainly a new you. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's why I use that term because you're yeah. you know is a new you. Yeah. And it is a spiritual process, I believe. You know, there is, you do the work, and that means the work is breaking through the shame. The work is bringing love to these different parts. The work is experiencing what the body tells you. 
listening to the body, listening to the dreams, listening to the things that come up. And then, of course, experiencing those feelings that have been repressed. Yeah. So did you, is this the kind of work you did for your healing process? And continue to do. Yes. Yes. I mean, you keep reminding me that you're not a finished product. (laughs) None of us are, (laughs) because we're still here. And I'm not a saint. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But you, the healing that you have done is pretty spectacular. It is. It's been a. It's been my life. It's been a. You know, three decades of intensive, intensive growth. And I can tell you, if you'd met me as a twenty-year-old, I'm obviously a very, very different person today. But the most significant difference, I think, is there was still some of me there. But I think the most significant difference is that um, hopefully I'm not as arrogant today, and hopefully I'm more able to love and accept and truly feel peace inside. You know, that's really the difference. That's the growth. I think ultimately the growth is going to be the same for everyone. You become more uniquely you, Mm -hmm. but how that translates is going to be similar for everyone. Mm -hmm. And is this the work you're doing with people now? So yes, that's most of what I do today is to counsel other survivors, mostly of the same extreme abuse that I went through, which is, you know, the, you know, the, mind control and uh, satanic ritual abuse or other ritual abuse. So, and uh, because I think a lot of people just don't know that this is as rampant as it is, but they find you, you, they know that you're a person who can help them with that. Or is it like a, a, a group work that you do and, or is it individual work you do? I have groups. So for anyone who is uh, listening and, and interested, I do have on my website, uh, AnnikaLucas.com, I do have resources and one of some of those resources are the groups that I moderate. And, and one of those groups particularly is for survivors of ritual abuse and mind control. So people can find me um, you know, on that group, and that is a peer support group. So it's actually a thriving group. And then I've personally met and and, and counseled with maybe at this point, maybe 150 okay. people have heard those in-depth, in-depth stories. Um, from about 150 different survivors. But I know other survivors. Um, a, a good friend of mine is uh, in her 80s now, and she's been a counselor. And she said she's met thousands of survivors of RA and and, uh, and, and MC, which are the words for ritual abuse and mind control. So there, there are survivors everywhere. And you know, uh, I for a long time, I didn't even believe there were any survivors. Mm-hmm. Because it's so suppressed in, in the general consciousness. And um, for years, I also couldn't find a therapist who would believe me in the private setting of therapy. So they would question you. Or they wouldn't go there. I would feel they, I was going to say they didn't want to they didn't want to go there because it was too dark or too scary for them. Yes. And I didn't have to say anything sometimes. I just knew that I couldn't go there with certain people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that took me 10 years to find someone that I could actually go deeper with. Interesting. And your memories in the book are have a lot of clarity. I mean, you know, the book is actually really catalogs, I think, about one year, maybe a year and a half, 1973, 1974. Yes. Um, and it is a memoir. So it's it it reads like a memoir, but your memories are very clear. And I think that's just so fascinating that you have that much clarity because you you did repress it for a long time. I did. Yes. And in fact, 
I started writing this book in 2004. And so a lot of the, um, some of those memories actually came right through my fingers. And I had ended up going to Belgium to investigate. And then I found uh, the death record of um, uh, a boy who died that is described in the book. Yes. Yeah, I think you're, um, you dedicate the book to these children that you may not even know their names. You knew his name, but some that you didn't know their names. But it's, um, you know, when I when I first read that, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. But when you read the whole book and you go back to that page, it's it's really profound that these are children that you remember that were that were victims. But so so how how do you go from um, okay? So you're saying you're writing. And it just comes to your fingers, you're saying. So like it's a download, like a memory download. Is that interesting? Yeah. So in the beginning, that's, um, I mean, not everything, but certainly the conversations just came right out of my fingers. And uh, of course, that boy also, mm-hmm. I had no memory of that boy before I started writing the book. Interesting. I had had one memory that I, I saw someone uh, in a yoga class and he reminded me and I immediately had this memory of being on the back of a motorcycle in Belgium. Uh-huh. Long motorcycle ride. And I never remembered that or I hadn't remembered that boy. But that was all I'd had. And then when I was writing the book, which was maybe a year later or so, everything came through. That's fascinating. It really is. I mean, we do have our memories are very um they're they're, they're just located somewhere. <laughs> like we're we don't we don't necessarily think we have access to them, but they are located somewhere. And um, I, I've had some also interesting memories come up that were I was probably one or two. You know, it's like I no one told me that, and but I kind of pieced t- things together, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense that I had that memory. I think also because the situations you were in were, I would think of heightened awareness. I mean, it's not like just a day in the life of a schoolgirl where, you know, it's like the next day in the life of the schoolgirl. You're 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 to me, I would I would say your memories could be heightened that you're expressing because there was something very unusual happening at that time or something okay. yeah, right. something very traumatic happening at that time. And so, you know, it clicks in a way and is put in storage somewhere, but the the trauma or the 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 challenge or the horridness of it or the the difficulty of it ma- makes it when it comes to you more um, more clear i think that's just my guess no, no no that is absolutely true and that is also scientifically uh, talked about and everything that okay. tra- traumatic memories um you know there's it depends on the person you know how traumatic memories may be recalled but there's always usually there's a great level of detail and you know uh, depending on how our survival um, mechanisms we uh, remember things differently, but I remember um, particularly interactions. I remember very, very clearly, but other um, children or adults, when they remember, may have focused on, you know, like there was one uh, thing that I described in the book where my my consciousness was outside of my body and I was now um, examining the fibers of a lampshade which was not right next to the bed. And I could never have seen this with such clarity, with such precision um, from where I was at. I actually didn't see it at all. But that's, you know, but then it would be natural, for example, to maybe just remember the, to just remember the, mm-hmm. the scene in the outer body experience. And sometimes in the outer body experience, you go to a different room, you know, so you may not 
you may not actually remember the abuse very much, but you may remember other things on other details and details um, like in the Dutroux case, which you'd mentioned before, uh, which is the, the case in Belgium that was supposed to uh, roll up the Belgian network, which never happened. Yeah, there was hope there. In 1996, there was hope. In 2004, all that hope was shattered. Mm -hmm. um, but the primary um, uh, um, witness, uh, survivor in that case, uh, she, she had a very detailed memory of spaces, mm. which I don't. But that was very helpful for the policemen who were investigating, especially in the beginning. So she had these memories that she had to have been there because nobody would know these particular specific details of these spaces, um, which, you know, for me, it's the human interaction that I remember. And, and I can tell you everything about that man. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that man better than I know, you know people in my life today that I'm close to. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I wanted to point that out because I I, I wanted to make sure that if people question the vividness of memories, that there's a reason for that. <laughs> yes. And I also wanted to mention that the memories, of course, come in different ways, all different ways. Uh, Kathy O'Brien, who is um, a survivor of uh, mind control and uh, yeah, incest, and then also, of course, the satanic ritual abuse, and she was um, used as a like in the United States as, as a from an incestuous family, and her father was caught, and then she was offered to put her in the MK Ultra program, where she was used um, as a presidential model and as a spy. So she has um, been speaking out for many years. She was rescued by someone within the CIA who. Um, you know, became disgusted by the practices that he knew were true, and he rescued her and her daughter. And so she has all this healing behind her. She's been a major advocate uh, for this cause, and she's uh, still doing that after decades. And um, she talked about, so she knows a lot about how the brain works within this mind control. And she talked about at age 30, some uh, physiological change happening that actually uh, sort of loosens the amnesiac barriers behind which those memories are uh, hidden. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I am aware of her. Um, so that's somebody I could probably put some links on the podcast page to her as well. Can you talk about some of the work you did with um, the the prisons and we could probably move into the unconditional model too. I don't know if that's the same thing or not. Is it? Well, it developed out of that work. Certainly. Okay. Service work in the prisons was, I didn't really quite know why I was drawn to prisons at first. Um, I was moved by an image I'd seen um, and I had been asked to teach yoga and I started teaching in the way that I was taught, which was kind of ridiculous, <laughs> you know, very didactic and everything. And um, uh, as soon as I started teaching, I realized that's that's not the way to go. I don't, that's not for me. I should find a different way. And so I started to be naturally drawn to people with trauma. And because I had always used the Hatha yoga practice, I had my meditation practice, which was my, I called it the real yoga. And then I had the Hatha yoga, which I called the physical, the Hatha yoga practice completely separate from one another, the Hatha yoga being more of a physical therapy, whereas, uh, and, and what I wanted to do to move and to stay healthy 
whereas the um the the meditation was more the connect you know connecting to god connecting to um to to the finer you know to myself and so the um hatha yoga teaching what i didn't really want to teach at first but i was drawn into it and then i uh, was working soon after was working with um, people with physical trauma and then with um, other trauma and then when i was first going to the prisons i realized right away when i was inside it was the way that prisoners were treated like the least of the least mm, okay there's a constant projection on yes they are always made to feel that they 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 are worthless and i related to that very strongly from i my see that yeah mm -hmm. and so i it was under the guise of bringing hatha yoga to bring hope because i i was very aware that when i was a little girl i was always hoping i was always wanting somebody to come in and give me hope it never happened <laughs> yeah so you're you're doing that for them yeah yeah it's interesting because you were talking about the power structures and mm -hmm. and how we you know give up our power to those that we say are above us and then we judge those that are below us and and yeah. the children of the network are the low of the low. And in our society, the prisoners are the low of the low. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are the are the um the the disenfranchised, really, yeah. Who are the homeless or, you know, and all all those extremely vulnerable populations. So when I was going in, also again, the way that yoga is generally thought is by commands, you know, giving commands and you know, being, you know, even getting a little bit of power um as a yoga teacher you know and obviously a dangerous thing to do when you're with vulnerable populations so it would was very clear as i was bringing other people in it was very clear well i'm clear that this is service from the heart but it has to be clear to my teachers as well so i started uh developing a way to be present with people that we know that we're there to just be present without any agenda not even doing yoga that we're there to connect. That's really what we're there to do from the heart, from a place of equality. We're humans. We're all humans. And that was in the worst moment in the network. I'm like, I'm human. You know, I know I'm human. You can't treat me like I'm inhuman, which of course was tried often enough. So from that very simple place, opening of the heart and connecting, that was really, you know, there's a whole that means you have to turn everything on its head as how we know things because the power structure uh, tells us to serve from a place of superiority to help and to fix right right let me let me help you <laughs> let me impose my help upon you you yes. didn't ask for this but this is right. what i am giving you <laughs> right and now you need me yes <clears throat> rather than the service but then when you when we see the external power structure, and this is how what the unconditional model says, is that to reverse that, we live in a toxic power structure where the people at the very top are the sickest individuals. They are psychopaths. Let's say let's just say that. And what psychopath psychopathy means, we have to go and learn what it means because they're not like us. <laughs> we want to. We want to believe that those elected officials, we want to believe that those billionaires, we want to believe that they're like us, but they're not. They're not. First of all, 
Most of us say, for example, if I would have a billion dollars, I would do this. And then people list all these good things that it would do with their money, right? That's why you're not rich. <laughs> right, right. That's well, why you're well, not that, that rich. Right. Uh, but some of the billionaires invest in ways that mask it, though. It looks like they're doing good. Some Definitely. of them do. <laughs> Definitely. People are, people are fooled. Well, it yeah. was very interesting to own a nonprofit organization um, because that is definitely not set up to provide service. Mm -hmm. The laws around the nonprofit just are not conducive to service at all. If we just wanted to do what we did, that's to say to go into the jails and prisons and to serve with bringing Hatha Yoga, then there were no big grants available for us because oh, right, right. The, bigger the, grant, the more you're sold to the philanthropists that give it to you, that's to say the more you become owned by them. It's not as if they gave up control when they started to uh, whitewash their money. <laughs> yeah. So our whole society, you said we live in a toxic power structure. Yeah. And so, you know, we, it's, I think our souls are calling us to dismantle this or to yes. dissolve this. And I think yeah. so many people are like, what can I do? I mean, I'm just one person. What can I do? And, sure. And, and and then there are others that just kind of give up. That's just the way it is. It's not going to change. I just got to like keep my head low and not get into trouble and just kind of live my life. And and both of those are kind of, uh, it's kind of like being um, in a state of a stupor or something, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's all avoidance, all avoidance. So let's talk about what we can each do. And, <laughs> and I mean, I, th I think for one thing, seeing what's real is the first step being able Absolutely. to see what's real and and to do that we have to really withdraw all of our projections all of our that golden shadow stuff that oh my gosh that movie star is the most amazing person or that politician left or right which is a ridiculous dichotomy it's set up for us to just be divided i believe yeah it's it's an illusion but everyone's playing that game uh and and i think you even mentioned in your book that if we could if we could see the power structure, we could see what's really happening. We wouldn't be doing all of this. You we know. wouldn't be fighting each other. Yeah, we, we wouldn't would. be fighting each other. We wouldn't be fighting each other. So it's it's like it's <laughs> like we're the the fighting each other is part of the game that's been set up that's, for us. That's the psychopath's trick. Yeah, and we fall for it over and over and over again. And I I see this with people on Facebook talking about the Democrats or the Republicans or the left or the right, and I'm like. Guys, <laughs> let's abandon this. Let's abandon this. Let's stop about this left and right stuff. Let's look at, you know, the the values we want. You know, freedom. We want, you know, we want autonomy. We want sovereignty. We want we want our um, we want to have an open heart. We want to love. You know, we we want to have these are the things that we care about. But instead, we're doing this this ridiculous bickering. And, and a lot of it is because we aren't willing to see what's really happening. And, and so we are, our magical, our left leader, our right leader, you know, he's, he's good and she's bad and this and that. And it's really just the whole power structure is a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. And it's also, there's so, so much brainwashing because the way that the power structure works is that the biggest trap is power and it's for everybody, it's a trap. So the first thing is to understand that the invitations to be greedy and the invitations to be selfish, the invitations to be nasty, 
the invitations to judge other people, the invitations to, to um, yeah, I mean, there's so much invitation to even at this time judge other people, yeah, that that not to fall for that because there's a lot of brainwashing. And the first thing that happens is that when someone, you know, can start with a great initiative and great a lot of connection to truth and, you know, and whatever it is. And I noticed, for example, that in the truther arena, there's now quite a few people that are starting a, a sort of a new club that is again based on power, that um, and that is very strongly opposed to a whole group of people. That's to say, the awake ones versus versus the sheep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right versus left, meat eaters versus vegans, um, and that uh, that that usually they're in one group or another group, and that. You know, if you're a truther, you have to eat meat. Or if you're a truther, you have to be now on the right. Or if you're a truther, you have to believe Trump's a hero. Or, you know, all of that has to be reconsidered. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the one thing that there's just a whole, because anybody who climbs, anybody who gets a large platform, you have to just be skeptical to see the outside problem, right? That anybody who receives has a large platform could be used to be part of the division. Right. And you're being brainwashed. So that's so that's sort of what starts to happen. The way that you begin to see that though is if you do the work on yourself and yes, the accept what is truly happening. And that is to say that the people who are trying to control earth and the people in it are complete psychopaths have no care in the world for you at all and are increasingly obvious about it, that this power structure with the few at the top who are thinking they are escaping the chaos, but at the same time are trying to recreate their own internal chaos and internal war and conflict from their unresolved trauma. And because of their privilege and entitlement are trying to just put that onto the whole world while believing they are running away from it and they're getting to enjoy this earthly paradise. So that's the first thing that we do have to accept that this is what's happening. And that includes satanic rituals in those circles. It includes, you know, tremendous blackmail. It's much darker than you think. That's for, that's all. Like just assume that it's much darker than you think. And then the unconditional model uses power dynamics first on the external level, which is to say, what is the external power structure we have at the very top? We have those who control the politicians, the multi-billionaires. We have, you know, certain people who are at the top of this power structure having to do with their power. And then those who are controlled by them. And then you have the very wealthy. And then you have the upper middle class. And then you have the middle class. And then you have, um, you know, all the way down to the largest group, the underprivileged, who are... Uh, sort of feeling the pain for all of society, you know, like as if you're middle class, you know, you may be wearing clothes and and I'm probably as well, you know, I'm not excluding myself from anything, but you're probably wearing clothes that might've been um, sewn by people in, you know, in, 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 in horrible conditions. And, you know, we are profiting from their poverty, you know, and we are buying the cheap clothes or whatever, or the expensive clothes, but we're still, we're, we're part of this world. We're part of the system, whether we like it or not. So to be aware on an external level where we're at, 
um, you know, just looking at the different privileges that we either have or don't have. Like, for example, there's always a very big push to sort of deny that women are underprivileged. And um, understandably, because I think the female uh, force, the healthy female force is what is most feared at this time, you know, because that is being suppressed and that is being suppressed the most. But um, healthy female force, I think that the compassion and the the uh, ability to step out of the power structure, which is a very male um, directive, you know, society, not to go along with that anymore and to go back to societies that 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 offered a different example, you know, that were egalitarian societies and that often were matriarchal or matrilineal or something like that. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking about the indigenous societies, several of the indigenous societies here that get, that offered us a, a great model of how we can do it differently. And then we have our internal power structure. So when we understand that those people at the top of society um, are running away from their own trauma and are doing everything to, to never feel their pain, not that they don't feel pain, but they're still trying to get rid of their pain by making others feel their pain. You know, whether it's the child sex slave um, and their their direct victims, or whether it's um, all the people that they screw because of their greed and their, uh, you know, that 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 end up uh, be suffering because of because of their greed. There is that, um, you know, that that escape, that the attempt to escape from the top. And everyone is b- being given that model that you can escape, and the best thing, the best way to escape is by getting power <laughs> and by becoming like us. So that means either to become very wealthy, you know, and be successful in that classical way rather than thinking of abundance and thinking of success as that means that everybody should be be able to benefit from your success. Yeah. And success as defined by integration and love and connection and collaboration and community and um, health, you know. (laughs) Which is more egalitarian. So I've started my own healing process, you know, being trained in that model, which is, of course, the most hierarchical. Now, my particular situation as an adult made it so that I didn't have self-esteem to anchor myself, but I also didn't want the power because Mm -hmm. that was too scary from the model that I'd received. So just suffered humiliation after humiliation after humiliation. I was obviously very low on the societal scale, not that I was not without privilege, I had obviously had privileges, but in Europe especially, I was considered very low without my education. But then when I came to the United States, as someone arriving out of Paris, woo, you know, suddenly I had, you know, enjoyed tremendous privilege. Um, but but I was, you know, I had this uh, idea of myself as very low and low class and poor, you know, not poor, but lower middle class, let's say. And I kept myself there from my place of trauma and my inability to empower myself, which was confused with power, you know, in the negative sense. Right, right. It's like power, you know, you want to stay away from power because you knew how, how, you know, how How, messed up. Yeah, how how toxic it was. Right. At the same time, I didn't have self-esteem to anchor myself and to guide to guide me so i would feel the humiliations and i would um then use those to heal my to go into the healing more 
And of course, the more I healed, the more I was able to not care about the outer structure so much anymore and just assert myself as me, whatever that is, you know, not concerned about my positioning, not concerned about my my status in the world. Now, I still have a sort of a, a status in the world, but I'm not attached to it at all. So the attachment to privilege and attachment to material things offers this escape from one's own personal pain. So the model has you helps you to look at these things like, okay, what is my privilege uh, externally? Uh, we're still talking about the external privilege. Um, how much am I needing uh, to feel like I'm the teacher, for example, so that I can be needed? For example, you know, like it's a question about power. How much do I need to be needed if I uh, would not need to be if I would not be needed at all? If nobody cared, would I be all right? And that's the question, you know. That's and of course, the more we grow. Uh, in this healing process, the more strongly we're connected to spirit because that's where we're going. We're going deeper within and deeper within it's all spirit. So we're connecting uh, more. We, we get more and more strength and more and more identification with ourselves as not the body, but this uh, identified with spirit and less and less identified with, um, with, with status and matter and, 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 and goods. So Externally, that's a way to look at ourselves and just to check where we're at and how much do we need our privilege, all the various privileges that exist. And then the new, uh, what is new about the unconditional model is that it, it, in in terms of power dynamics, we have our own unique experiences in childhood and our own experiences with um, our authority figures. So for me, that meant that I I looked up and I gave my power away to um, women that maybe were maybe a little borderline because like my mother, they would like need me a lot. And I would really feel that little girl inside of me who needed her mother would just try to give, 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 give to those kinds of women that are never going to receive, that are only going to take. And that not, not only that, if you stop giving and you set a boundary, they will definitely leash, lash out at you and there will be trouble. So I got into these situations and, you know, of course, my mother being ultimately the closest relationship, that is very complex to get out of these kinds of situations. But so these women were not um, high in a high position in the world at all, and neither was my mother, but I gave them all my power. I gave away my power to those women, those kinds of women. So I would put them on a pedestal. I would make them good. I would want to believe their narrative of themselves. And so it is, and then that would be with those women, for example, but then there's anybody, there's, you know, celebrities, a lot of celebrities are mind control trained and a lot of them are there to represent um, a sort of a, an, an, an archetype on which we can project. You know, there's the sweet one, there's the, the you know, uh, the generous one or whatever, whatever the archetype or the set, you know, it's usually mixed yeah, with the sexy sex. one. <laughs> it's always mixed with sex, but we project onto those celebrities and we make them good. We don't know these people at all, but we may be projecting something there. We have to assume that when we give our power away, when we lift someone up, when we put them on a pedestal, when we believe, automatically believe that this, this guru's sort of presentation of being like, 
so saintly and so good and you know and and oh they're they're so much more evolved than me spiritually you know they're saints or whatever when we do that uh we have to assume that we are looking at the fit the hypocritical face of an authority figure with whom we have something yet to heal there's something left unhealed we're looking at the face where we have to give our love in this fear-based way where we have to placate and make them good because the other side is what if what if i don't placate what if i don't give my love to this authority figure that someone i'm making into an authority figure but i'm doing that i'm giving my so- my power away willingly so we make the assumption that there that if i do that the moment i do that do i feel like a child inside am i nervous am i scared am i giddy what is it how i'm giving my power away and then on the personal level on the other side and of course we give our power away with um giving our vote away and giving our taxes away and we don't follow up that we make sure that whomever we put in power is going to do what we want them to do that we don't even expect yeah. that anymore. <laughs> we don't even expect that they work for us anymore right so we're giving our power away we're not doing anything about it that's all really on us because we are willingly i mean it I'm is on saying, us yeah i'm not saying don't pay your taxes but i'm saying eventually hopefully we'll we'll stop paying our taxes if they're going to things that we absolutely don't want them to go to. Well, I just actually listened to a, a a video today that said it's all going to paying off the debt. It's not going to anything that we want. <laughs> it's all going to interest on the debt. But that's okay. another topic. You're talking about um, it's on us to withdraw our projections. Well, I'm talking about us funding wars with our tax money when none of us want war. Right. We all want peace. Right. You know, and and then there's a line that in order to get peace, we need war. Well, that's not uh, that's not true. Mm-hmm. In order to have peace, we all have to be peaceful inside, and so we have to look at ourselves. And it's tempting when we, especially when we find out about the kind of truth that I survived. When we find that out, people feel helpless because it actually activates their own unresolved trauma because it taps into each person's own darkness. It taps into each person's Issues with authorities. These are the authorities of the world, and they represent our own authorities. So when you open yourself to this reality, usually there's some trauma that is reawakened. But yet, however, that trauma is not a there is the truth, which is unsettling, and you may need some time for sure to to re-envision the reality of this world. Absolutely. And next, there is what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my relationship to authority? And that, of course, we have to look at our own authority figures. And then one way to check in is how do we give our power away? Whom do we give our power away to? And what is that? Then can I connect with my own body? And can I do that? What I would then do is a form of uh, internal family systems work to connect with that part, that young part that is needing to placate this authority figure, needing to say that they are all good and they are so generous and they are so sweet. Um, And they're so humble often, you know, when celebrities, it's so funny that often people say, oh, they're so humble. (laughs) (laughs) The only question is, would they, would they be so humble if they not, if they did not have the platform? Right. Right. Nobody cared whether they were humble or not. Would they still be humble? 
<laughs> and I've lived so what, outside of that a lot, you know. Yeah. So what you're saying is, um, often, often we get in this trap that the problem with the world is that they are doing this and they are doing that. And if if only they would stop or we get rid of them. Yeah. What, you're, <laughs> what you're saying is we are holding up this whole structure ourselves. We're all part of it. We're all part of it. And we're each individually and collectively holding it all up as we continue to not do our own healing and to project onto celebrities and and. Uh, psychopathic leaders and whatever yeah. the power structure we're holding it all up because we are avoiding our own personal healing and when we we become aware of what's real what, true which is what i'm trying to to expose our listening audience to um and anyone else in my ministry we we don't want that because we face our own trauma and it feels really bad and so we don't want that because I I've been doing this in my own ministry for the last few years. I've been I've been trying to integrate more of the darkness and and bring people to some of this awareness. Some people cannot do it at all. They think Carol's gone off the rocker. You know, it's like why does she want us to look at this? And and and, and it's because I think their own trauma is being touched, and they don't want to. That is the reason. That okay. is the only reason. Yeah, because it touches our the way we look at authority. Like there's a parenting style, right? But there's also a child style that the way we see authorities, there's little rebels, there's children that are going to go along with everything the parents say. Obviously, the more trauma there is, the more rigid that role is going to be. Yeah. Childhood, again, in childhood. And that means that our relationship to authority in the world's authority and those who are trying to control us by saying that they are the authority and claiming they are the authority um is how we you know is very closely related to the way we grew up as children and viewed our parents with all the shadow side that goes along with that are we completely following the narrative of the authorities and are we um believing everything they tell us blindly well then what are we right then we're we're a child the other side what we can do to look at ourselves. Um, yeah, so it's it's the assumption that it's about our own trauma. We have to assume that when we give our power away to anybody at all, no matter how powerful they are in the world or in our lives, as adults, all I'm talking about adults, of right. course, that we need to assume that we're looking at the hypocritical face of one of our own figures from childhood, own uh, authority figures from childhood. Now, on the other hand, that is when we project upwards, right? And when we make someone good, equally as we do that, we're also projecting downward. That begins with judgment. That ends with a justification in murder. Now, a lot of us are participating in justifying murders all over the place. You know, we do that all day long. We do that a lot because if we agree with our government doing this or that or that, or you know, we are participating too, and we are um, aiding and abetting the whole system, the whole toxic system. So we're being invited all the time to keep the division in stand to judge others or to mock others. That's a very big tool is to become that, you know, high school bully and to mock anyone who doesn't think alike or something. Now, as soon as we're judging, we're off in shadow land and that's anybody. We can be hate people who have roles high up. And we're again, we're being invited to either hate Biden or to hate Trump. But as we do that, as we negatively project on those figures, 
whom we don't know at all. We don't know <laughs> these people. Right. If we do that, we are now off into projection land. And that negative projection, no matter who it is, whether it's to some degree, usually we go along with the outer structure. And we do look down on people who are less priv- privileged than ourselves in some ways. You know, that's our, you know, that's like looking at prejudice and so forth, because we're being invited all day long to do that. But at the same time, we'll be looking down at certain people again. The ways in which we were traumatized, the ways in which parts of ourselves were never seen, heard, understood, embraced, and loved, those parts is what we see in other people. And the moment we start negatively projecting, we're off into shadow land and we're actually, we have to accept the assumption that we are looking at a part of ourselves that we have yet to embrace. Right. And then, and, and we, and we can change that within yeah. ourselves. Yes. So we, we have all the power. I mean, we have all the real power, the spiritual power, not the power in the corrupt st- structure that you're talking about, the, but we have the inner power. We have the inner power. Yes. And we're all equals. That's the truth is that we really are all equals. That means that each person's contribution is equally valid. And um, so to upset the power structure, it's when we use, when we can accept that, that the moment I'm projecting, there's a way to become mindful of this because there's now, it means that there's a part in me that is not healed. Mm -hmm. So once I, if I can, either with the help of uh, someone else or by myself, if I can break through my wall of shame and come to understand that this part was trying to help me in some way or whatever it was, if I can embrace this part now and that the part can be integrated and I have this expansion process happening, the healing that happens from now integrating this part, the unconditional model, I've developed several exercises that if you say, I hate this public figure, you can go and find out the common denominator with what it is inside of you that you hate. Mm-hmm. Because you, it can be something that you say, well, I don't, I'm not like that at all. I, or I don't do that, which of course you will not be doing the same thing, but symbolically there's something there that is something in you that you haven't looked at. And of course, when we talk about killing, a lot of people don't want to accept that there's a killing instinct in each person. Right. You've got to find that. You have to find that. And you, you, you know, I was manipulated in childhood to use that all the frustration and all the helplessness and all the powerlessness that I'd experienced from all the abuse I'd suffered, the manipulation was that I was given a channel to release all of it through violence and doing harm and to go into that process. And again, that's most my book, The, the Climax. I'm going to just show the, the book again. I have not in this uh, section. Is, know, that a, is that a picture of you? It is me. Uh, it's yeah. me at years old. Uh, Quest for Love, um, Memoir of a Child Sex Slave. So again, the climax of the book goes into this very deeply where the everything that you, was placed on your shoulders, like you get traumatized, you don't get, there's an emotional need that's not met. You're carrying a burden. You're carrying a burden for mm-hmm. the person who put it on you, you know, and you love them. So you want to keep carrying it, but it doesn't belong with you. And then they... Doesn't belong with them either, but it goes back to through the, to the dark ages where wherever this started, you know, this burden was placed on you know the first victim, and here we are uh, perpetuating the cycle. So to undo that cycle, we 
um, can find that darkness in ourselves. Yes, we come from instinctually, there's a hunter prey instinct in man, and we are mammals, and there's that nature. So, what this, these powerful Satanists have done is to take that and say, that's what we are. So, we are going to secretly embrace this fully because they don't believe in spirit. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying that's more honest to be um, accepting ourselves as animals and natural means to just do anything. And what they're leaving out is the psychology of their own unresolved trauma that is motivating all of this. Because, of course, man is much more. Yes. And we are uniquely built so that we actually have the possibility in our lifetime to ascend through the subtle spinal cord and to uh, become awakened, uh, to become enlightened. Yes. And I think, you know, we we are each divine beings. We are God incarnate or image and likeness of God. And we are so, so incredibly powerful in a spiritual sense. Yes. And the world is the 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 physical world, the world, I should the world of our culture is created so that we do not pay attention to any of that so that we are unaware of all that or we forget that or we're distracted from it but we have unbelievable power yes and we've given it up and yes, it's and really well, it's very good you know and satan is that power that 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 blinds us to our spiritual nature um and in um in yoga it's maya it's the delusion the delusion that we have being in this condition of being in this human body where our life force just constantly goes out through the senses. And so I'm looking at you sitting there and you are looking at me sitting here, a body looking at a body. But we are so much more than that. But our energy is reversed, if you will. And then and, and death, we we want to, you know, that that gets pulled back in. And in fact, that 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 light, that, that, that tunnel that people see when they go to the other side, um, you know, according to my guru, and also my experience, the near-death experience, there's this um, you know, by the brainstem, the entry into the body, the first cell, the first cell when we're becoming incarnate is the brainstem, but, you know, a cell, the one cell that becomes the brainstem. And then when we return, when we die, the tunnel is actually the reflection of the light in that place on the medulla oblongata. So that gives us, it's the way back and our consciousness moves through that tunnel, that, that, that portal. Uh, where we go back to the other side of the ether, but to bring it back to what we can do and how, you know, when we negatively project, which we're invited, I mean, it's like we have the world as it is, which is always going to be delusion, delusive. And then superimposed on that, we have this cult of uh, people who are completely addicted to power and are trying with all their might to hold on to it right now. Right. We have this superimposed, these superimposed lies on top of what is already, you know, not full reality because we are spirit. So to see that superimposed lie of earth uh, that is happening, things that are happening right now on earth, and to then work on ourselves, understand that we have to be the light and that there is a psychological component to that, that means that the healing becomes spiritual work. It's like, the saints talk about tests they received. Well, it's that. Looking at our own trauma and looking at the ways in which we were not emotionally able to mature, that is the work that the saint does 
overcoming these tests because we're going to go straight to our pain, which is uncomfortable, which the world tells you you don't have to feel it. Please just mm -hmm. climb or, or drink or do this or do that, but just run away from your pain. And you can, you know, and a lot of spiritual groups will tell you you can run away from your pain. Your Absolutely. Pain. Yeah. And just be all be positive. <laughs> and be positive. But no, there is no escaping that. So that's that psychological work of and then giving giving given this new filter, if you will, this new lens uh, of power dynamics to, to look at ourselves, to see how do I look down on people? Well, that is a part of me that I've not yet accepted. And then there's all the, the work to do to find a common denominator, to find which part in you that is, and various meditations and so forth to connect with all the different parts. So these parts that we have, you could say that they live in a hierarchy too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we're creating by allowing all these parts to be seen and, and heard and understood and loved, we're creating this internal egalitarian system, which reflected outward will undo the need for mm -hmm. hierarchy. Yes, absolutely. Um, really, this has been the most amazing two hours. I, I think, I, I think that, I, th I think the bottom line is we have, we, we can do this. We can yes. do this. Yes. And, and it's not just like hope. We really need to stand in, in faith and know absolutely that this is what is before us. And it's more clearly before us, I think now than, well, I think now than ever, but that's just in my own lifetime. Um, we, we've, no, we've been, I agree. I agree because I come from um, the environment of the seven of this of the seventies, where there was absolutely no chance that anyone would, you know, there was no place to go with this. It was very difficult in the eighties when I started to speak about it. It was very difficult in the nineties when I was starting to heal from it. It was still difficult in the uh, early, uh, you know, two uh, thousands, and I felt comfortable only in twenty thirteen. But I was amazed then at how well people received it and noticed at that time that a lot of people went to the anger and the revenge, which is another phase of healing. And now I have to say, I'm just amazed, considering where I come from, how many people get the whole picture right, and everything and, and, and all the different aspects of it and, and the love and how many people are aware that the love is what heals and we can take love as God and, and just work for that and, and learn to love ourselves. And the one last thing I want to say about the work on ourselves is that if it seems daunting, you know, with this reality, this darkness of the reality of the world, if that seems daunting, and if it seems that working on yourself might be too little a contribution, I just want to address this by saying that when you allow yourself to go back to this place of vulnerability and uh, hurt, the, the child's hurt, the ways in which you yourself as a child was shamed or not uh, seen and heard and maybe abused, when you do that work, when you go there, when you love yourself and that child inside of you gets a place in your constellation and that your vibration changes. And now with you becoming more in the light because that part is now become part of the light because it's now in your consciousness rather than in your subconscious it is in your in your consciousness now you are connected to everyone 
and it is one great consciousness that we're that we have so when you do this work on yourself you are actually bringing light to the entire uh world absolutely absolutely beautifully beautifully stated yeah we 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 change ourselves and we change the world um so thank you Annika so much for thank you for for being with me uh thank you for your beautiful book and for just the wisdom that you have and the the love that you are and what you're bringing to the world and i just know that this is going to bless many many people so i also want to say thank you to the listening audience those that that hung with us for a couple hours because like you said it's it's it takes some courage and and we are i think i think the more we see clearly that i mean there's this we we can create something beautiful we're we're on the cusp of creating something beautiful and that's what i want everyone to be left with that it's it's not all doom and gloom this is like something that we're all in a co-creative process so let's make a beautiful world just imagine if everyone was empowered yeah accepting of themselves and connected to their spirit to spirit as their true power just imagine what that would mean for the earth that's to say we would see those people who need the power as the the child parts that are seeking you know to 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 feel big right and then to come to that with compassion and understanding and yet with clear boundaries <laughs> <laughs> absolutely if everyone's empowered there is no way that these that, that these um dark uh, lies can be can, can can perpetuate right right and so that's what we should use our gift of imagination to start to at least imagine this world as we're doing our own work um, an egalitarian so a truly egalitarian society not a politically egalitarian society that is in fact the few ruling over the many where the many are happy to have nothing <laughs> it's not right that. right right i mean the divine being does not need ruling <laughs> we are all divine beings we claim that we do not need an authority to tell us what to do we will know god is guiding us so Okay, thank you Annika so much. I'll have your uh websites and anything else that you want to connect to you on our podcast webpage for this podcast and I just am so grateful for you showing up so graciously and generously for all of us. Oh, thank you. Yes. All right, and I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.